Welcome to the podcast. Today, we get started with Glenn yelling about something that I think will will really will really reach you in your heart and your soul. Uh, you're going to feel this one along with Glenn as well. Uh, we also have Bill O'Reilly on the program. His new book is out today. It's called Killing the Mob. It's one, of course, you do not want to miss. He goes through all of that and much, much more uh, today. Uh, check out the podcast uh, if you could subscribe to this podcast we'd certainly appreciate it as well as Stu does america also available every day on this podcast app do a little subscribing do a little rating do a little reviewing and tomorrow you're going to want to join uh, for blaze tv's coverage of you know it's back to back it's Stu does america right into glenn tv some really great stuff you're not going to want to miss on tomorrow's program Make sure to subscribe at blazetv.com slash Glenn. The promo code is Glenn for 10% off. Here's the podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. So we have, we have the uh, oil pipeline, the gas pipeline that has been shut down. It is the it is the gas pipeline that serves major U.S. airports, including Atlanta's Hartsfield Jackson, which is the busiest passenger by traffic anywhere. This. This provides jet a fuel, it provides gas and it also provides diesel. This was hacked. Last Friday, it was hacked by a group, Darkside. Darkside is in Russia. We know that. We don't have ties directly to the Kremlin. However, you don't do things like this without Putin's understanding or permission. You would never, never attack. Do you think they're going to you think they're going to attack uh, China? You think they're going to go after an ally? Of course not. That's why Darkseid never attacks former Soviet states. So we know that it was at least a Russian gang. We don't have ties to Putin himself. But we know the attack came from Russia. We know who these people are. Here is what the White House said yesterday uh, about the pipeline ransom. Listen to this. That victims of cyber attacks often face a very difficult situation, and they have to just balance often the cost benefit when they have no choice with regard to paying a ransom. Colonial is a private company, and will defer um, information regarding their decision on paying a ransom to them. Did you, would the, the administration offer any advice on whether or not to pay a ransom? So typically that is a private sector decision, and the administration has not offered further advice at this time. Given the rise in ransomware, that is one area we're definitely looking at now to say what should be the government's approach to ransomware actors and to ransoms overall. Stu, can I ask you a question? Yes. <sighs> In the original episodes of 24, what was the one thing Kiefer Sutherland always said? Uh, do not we negotiate. Do not with negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> the United States doesn't negotiate with terrorists. We all know that. We all know that. 
This is critical infrastructure. Now, let me give you a reason why I think that all of this is being led to be uh, being let play out. I think the Biden administration is moving at a geriatric pace for a reason. It makes it so much easier to nationalize everything. It makes it so much easier when everybody is screaming about gas. They didn't create the problem, but they will exploit the problem. What did what was his response yesterday? His response yesterday is, well, this is, you know, covered in the stimulus package. This is why I need to have that, uh, you know, two point two trillion dollar infrastructure. Really? Is that it? I'm telling you, I got up this morning and I was looking at the news, what's happening in Israel, what's happening all around the world, what is happening in our own country with our own economy. And I thought you couldn't plan this any better. You really couldn't. And I don't mean that, you know, gee, it's it, it just couldn't be planned any better. I mean, they did a really good job. They did a really good job. You cannot convince me that this is all just inept people they're not that many inept people and yes i've been to target i i this is going to affect the airports it's going to affect the gas stations it's going to affect prices well gee uh, no big deal. The gas stations all along the East Coast are now beginning to run out of fuel. This is America's biggest petroleum pipeline. And they can't get it back online because of Russian hackers. If the United States of America cannot, we have such uh, weak defenses that they cannot protect our private businesses from terrorists, and that's exactly what they are, terrorists from Russia, then what the hell good is the federal government? What is the reason we have government? We have government to protect our rights. We have a government to protect our property, to protect our, our way of life, it's like the police. We have the police because we can't police everything ourselves. We have the government because there are certain things we can't do by ourselves. One of them is stopping cyber terrorism from Russia. Oh, this is a private sector. Is it? That's weird because you would think that the pharmaceutical companies would be a private sector thing, too. But you had no problem marching in there and saying, I want to take the patents. North Carolina has declared a state of emergency. Today's emergency declaration will help North Carolina prepare for any potential motor vehicle fuel supply interruptions across the state and ensure motorists are able to have access to fuel. This is according to the governor. This is the fourth day yesterday, day five today, of the largest oil pipeline or gasoline pipeline, fuel pipeline in the East Coast. 
I don't know if the president knows that, but that's where most people in America live. Meanwhile, they keep denying inflation. Last week, I told you Costco and Kroger, among other brands, began the process of serving size optimization. That's basically what they're saying is we're going to charge you the same price, but get you give you less. Paper towel rolls, instead of being 235 sheets, is 212 sheets. Your package of uh, mac and cheese still provides four servings, but now instead of 12 ounces per serving, it's 10.1 ounces. Kirkland, uh, the brand of um, whole-salted cashews, used to be 22 ounces, still in the same plastic container, now 20 ounces of nuts. The rest is air. This is the first thing that happens in inflation. Serving sizes go down. It's been going on for generations. The only other thing you can do is, you know, reduce the uh, product or raise your prices. Well, nobody wants to raise their prices. But actually, because instead of paying 10% more for those cashews, you're just getting 10% less. But you're paying the same price. So it's it's the same thing. It's just a trick. Is anybody else sick of tricks? Is anybody else just searching for somebody to be honest? God, I'm so sick and tired of having to try to figure out what everything means because everybody's trying to bamboozle you or trick you. Did you see what was in? I'm going to talk about this next hour. Did you see the the left? Democrats seem to believe Americans are so gullible and stupefied that friendly reporters can openly quote the left gloating about how they lie, steal, and cheat to get power. Time Magazine article crowing about domestic uh, Democrats' successful conspiracy to rig the 2020 election through aggressive lawsuits, complaints to corporate media, the ability to deploy rioters. Remember that? Time magazine quoted them, talked about a a conspiracy, a whole group of people that had conspired together, the corporations and everybody else. Now, New York magazine yesterday, it's out with an article quoting Democrats celebrating their successes at lying to Americans about the true goals of the president, their conspiracy elected. The author claims a person close to the White House told her at his 100-day mark, Biden is the most liberal president we've ever had, and the public thinks he's a moderate. That's a winning strategy to me. They're willing to accept that you're going to write this piece so long as they know that swing voters in Colorado aren't going to read it. That's a quote. I am so sick and tired You want to change the country? Then tell us what you want to change it to. Stop telling me that you're not a Marxist, only later to reveal that you are a Marxist, and Marxism is great. You smeared me. You did everything you could to destroy me and my family for years. For what? So you Marxists could win? Now, the powers that be are lying to you about inflation. Why is inflation so bad? Because inflation screws you. 
it screws the guy down at the bottom. It screws the business owner that is just trying to make it. It doesn't screw the banks. It doesn't screw big business. They're getting bailouts all the time. In the end, it really screws the little guy. Anybody who has played the game the way it's supposed to be. You pay your taxes. You save your money. You went to school. You, you worked hard at your job. All of these things that are now in jeopardy because you might not believe in critical theory. I'm sorry, I don't think all white people are racist. I also don't think black people can't be racists. Sue me. Shut me down. Go ahead. You play by the rules. You put your money in the bank. Your money, because they are printing money, is worth less. Yes, it says a dollar. I've got $100 in the bank. But if inflation is 10%, you actually only have 90 cents in the bank. The way they are running, and this is not my estimate, the way they are running, experts believe that your $100 will be worth $52 in just a couple of years. Who wins? I'll tell you what it looks like. You want to know what it looks like? Look at Colombia right now. The best of the Glenn Beck program. The pipeline is still down. The White House has said <clears throat> that we should. Uh, that's a private sector thing. So <clears throat> whether they pay the ransom or not is really up to them. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you for that help. Is that an issue to you? I mean, you don't think the government should have a little more nah. guidance on... It is weird that like this is one of the things that happens often, not only by private companies, but also by you know city governments and state governments that they oh, yeah. get hacked and they just literally just pay criminals to get their information back. What are we, like a normal what are we, practice. What are we paying the federal government? Why are we paying taxes if they won't protect us from outside forces? Isn't that their job? Seems like Protect it us to from me. Outside forces. Yeah, it does to me. Too. And we don't seem to take any of these things seriously after they happen. You know, you have hacks from mm-hmm. sometimes state actors that we don't do anything about. We ha- I mean, mm-hmm. we have a very serious possibility that a global pandemic was caused by a communist government uh, and cover uh, by the way, I've still still not unsealed right. the research files from uh, right. the Wuhan Institute of Virology so that uh, you know, people mm-hmm. around the world can check them out and see if maybe this was the cause. Mm-hmm. Still haven't done it. Mm-hmm. We're a year later. Still haven't done it. No one seems to care. No one seems to do much of anything about it. And uh, it's going to continue well, to happen unless working, we hold these people responsible. We're busy working on equity right now. That should we should be laser focused on equity because that's what everybody is looking for. Yes, not equality. That's you know? for sure. I don't want no, equality. not equality. I don't no. want equality. I want equity, no. which is something totally yes. different. 
and brand mm-hmm. spanking new, uh, in case you mm-hmm. haven't been following this. Have you seen the Disney thing? Did you look into that at all, Glenn, uh, over the past couple days? I didn't look into it because it would make my eyes bleed. I, I know I, about it, the Disney <laughs> training, but I did kind you're of going to make my eyes bleed, right? I thought about you a little bit and the eye bleeding here, and I thought about how mm-hmm. much to torture you over this because mm-hmm. I know you mm-hmm. you love and you hate Disney. You have a, You have a love-hate relationship there. I love Walt Disney. I love what he stood for. I love what he built. I love how he built it. Uh, uh, I love the ideals, the original principles of Disney. I despise them now. Despise them. Well, this is going to help you probably down this road because they've started a brand new, uh, brand new uh, program for their employees, and it's called Reimagine Tomorrow. Because you're probably imagining t- tomorrow right now as a white person, as like you are a racist and you don't like black people and you're hoping to go back to those good old days of but slavery. But what can Disney and- do to help me reimagine a place where white people are not in charge and and where white people don't, you know, uh, milk their advantage to keep people in in chains? You know, I'm glad you asked that. And I'd like to get your reaction yeah. <laughs> to some of these things, Glenn, to see okay, yeah, how you yeah, feel yeah, about sure, that. Sure, sure, uh, one sure. module of the program of the program is called allyship for race consciousness the company Mm -hmm. tells employees that they must take ownership of educating themselves about structural anti-black racism and they should not rely on their black colleagues to educate them because it is emotionally taxing now i can imagine how emotionally taxing it is Mm -hmm. the united white people are not emotionally uh, emotionally taxed at all right now (laughs) we are just living the sweet dream and the document goes on to basically say, instead of, at, like, so you're not, we're supposed to have a conversation about race, right? That's what but we're not always told. with people of color. But don't no, no. talk to people of color about their opinions Thank on you. it because that is going to tax them emotionally. Instead, yes. you should go, as the document advises, you should go talk to, or go read things from black journalists and writers who can inform you about this, which mm-hmm. again, to my eye, and I know... As a man with white privilege, I don't have any role in this conversation, but sure. But to my eye, picking your journalists based on their skin color is racism. Is it uh, not? Excuse me. May I quote? Ha ha! Racist. <laughs> oh yeah. It's <laughs> a great cartoon. So, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, we should point out uh, this is from Christopher Rufo, who's done an incredible job. I mean, all, uh, one man wrecking it is crew. One man. Uh, it is uh, in destroying. Uh, so and exposing so many times in internal documents like this from schools and companies across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's going to be joining us later this week uh, to talk about this. Um, Disney recommends that employees atone for their racism by challenging colorblind ideologies and rhetoric. I can't take it. Such as I can't take it. All lives matter. I don't see color and. And, of course, white people must listen with empathy to black colleagues and not question Mm. or debate black Mm. colleagues' lived experience. Mm. Now, Glenn, Mm. correct Mm -hmm. me if I'm Mm -hmm. wrong here. I'm I'm just just thinking here for a second. Mm -hmm. First of all, Mm -hmm. I thought the the, the utopian vision, utopian, we may never get there, but utopian Mm -hmm. vision of Martin Luther King was a colorblind society. So now that we must challenge colorblind ideologies and rhetoric, such as I don't see color. I mean, okay, so they are you disposing know the reason of Martin why. Luther King. 
Yes, of course they are, because they believe the opposite of Martin Luther yes. King, because Martin Luther King was saying, America, live up to your principles and your values and your ideals. What they're saying now is all of those ideals, all of those principles are garbage. Mm-hmm. And the only way to fight racism is with racism. So two can play that game. That's what they're saying. Two can play that game. And we're going to get we're going to get the one up on you and we're going to crush you into the dirt. This this is, you know, I'll show you this in action tomorrow, tomorrow night on our special uh, nine o'clock. It happens. You can you can watch it a billion places. Watch it at Blaze TV. Watch it on YouTube. Um, by the way, you're going to have to go seek it out on YouTube. There eh, some reason or another, it's it's hard to find uh, any of the videos of mine on YouTube being spread around anymore. But uh, you can just go to YouTube and watch it there for free. You can get it as a Blaze TV. But we're going to show you. This happening in real time. They're just a little ahead of us, one country. And we'll show you the truth on that. By the way, Stu, I brought Mm -hmm. in the Disneyland prospectus. Yeah. Okay, so this is the actual prospectus that was typed out originally by Walt's secretary at his dictation over a weekend. This is what he brought to the banks and said, uh, I want to build a theme park. Nobody knew what a theme park was. Uh, they turned him down. He was asking for $18 million to build Disneyland. Can you imagine that? This is the Disneyland story. I want you to see, are they living up to any of these ideals? The idea of Disney, of Disneyland, is a simple one. It will be a place for people to find happiness and knowledge. Okay, you could say critical race theory in a very twisted, absolutely... Uh, polar opposite of Walt Disney sort of way, you could say, oh, yeah, we're just giving knowledge. Yes. Hmm. It'll be a place for parents and children to share pleasant times in one another's company, a place for teachers and pupils to discover greater ways of understanding and education. Here, the older generation can recapture the nostalgia of the days gone by, and the younger generation can savor the challenge of the future. Here will be the wonders of nature and man for all to see and understand. Disneyland will be based upon and dedicated to the ideals, the dreams, the hard facts that have created America. And it will be uniquely equipped to dramatize these dreams and facts and send them forth as a source of courage and inspiration to all the world. So if America was built on slavery, you better damn well tear Disney apart because it was dedicated to the ideals, the facts, and the dreams that created America. Hmm. So if you're saying that's slavery, tear the damn park down and I will help you do it. Uh, Disneyland will be something of a fair, an exhibition, a playground, a community center, a museum of living facts, a showplace of beauty and magic. It will be filled with the accomplishments, the joys and hopes of the world we live in. And it will remind us and show us how to make these wonders part of our own lives. That was Walt's dream. That's what he built. That's not what any Disney park represents today. If they are teaching their people, they have already allowed people to grow their hair any way they want. Mustache, you can have tattoos. I know this seems like a really small thing, but why was Disneyland 
so successful? Why did Walt Disney build a berm, a wall around Disney? It wasn't just to keep people from sneaking into the park for free. Why did he build a giant berm around that whole thing? He built it so you could enter a fantasy world. You could enter a world where the current world of stress, the current world of problems would disappear. So would Walt want people with tats on their face? No. Why? Because people view tats different ways. He wanted everything as clean and as generic as possible with all of the employees. He wanted people to represent the best of mankind without any reminders of the outside world. You want to take your vacation at a place that you're already so concerned is going to bankrupt your family? I mean, if you were the federal government, you'd be borrowing from your great-grandchildren to be able to go to Disney. You're already stressed out about that. You want to go into a place that now is is preaching to you what you should be instead of the hard facts, the ideals, and the principles of this country that created the greatest country, the greatest uh, um, um, flash of freedom in all mankind? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. Sorry, Walt. I think now it's time for all of us to go back and sit on that bench that had gum on it at the carnival where you took your kids every Sunday and thought there's got to be a better way. Not anymore. They've destroyed it. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Alcatraz Penitentiary. 9.45 a.m. Al Capone has let his guard down. It's shortly after breakfast as the man nicknamed Scarface works his shift mopping the prison shower room. It's a guy who once wore expensive suits and diamonds but now displays the standard Alcatraz uniform of a blue chambray shirt, trousers, belt, and shoes. Capone is 37. He's the former head of a notorious Chicago crime syndicate that earned profits of more than $100 million annually. That's about $18 billion in modern currency. He lived without fear of arrest. He paid off the judges, police, and politicians to ensure his freedom. And while he was once the most feared mob boss in America, reputed to have killed more than 30 human beings, He's now just another inmate in this escape-proof prison on a windy island in the middle of San Francisco Bay. Capone knows he has enemies here at Alcatraz. He has a reputation among the inmates for seeking special treatment from the warden. The warden is James Johnston, who has famously declared that his prisoners are entitled to food, clothing, shelter, and medical attention. Anything else you get is a privilege. It's known as rule number five in the inmate regulation handbook. It's the reason Warden Johnston constantly denies Capone's favors. But that doesn't stop Capone from trying. In one instance, he attempts to avoid the wait at a prison barbershop. Get to the back of the line, you bum, says a fellow inmate, James Lucas. 
a 22-year-old Texan known as a chronic hothead. Do you know who I am, punk? Snarls Capone. Lucas grabs a pair of barber shears and presses the blade into Capone's jugular. Yeah, I know who you are, greaseball, and if you don't get to the back of the line, I'm going to know who you were. That's just the beginning of Chapter 5 of Bill O'Reilly's new book called Killing the Mob, and Bill joins us now. Hi, Bill. How are you? Excellent read, Beck. Very good. I I was riveted. I wrote it, and I was riveted (laughs) when you were reading it. Thank you very much. Tell the rest of the story, because it's fascinating. He leaves the barbershop, and what happens to him? Well, he gets beat up, and uh, the guy who put the shears to his neck um, is after him. And um, he meets him, meets him in the shower with a razor yeah. and yeah. slices him pretty badly. And then Capone, that's it for his life. He deteriorates physically and mentally, um, gets out of Alcatraz, goes to Miami and dies in his early 40s, which is uh, justice because what a horrible, horrible human being he is. But the reason that we've uh, highlighted Capone in Killing the Mob is he's the template for organized crime today. So what he did was he elevated, we opened with uh, Bonnie and Clyde, John Dillinger, all those people, but he elevated criminality to an organized level in Chicago and, as you pointed out, took over everything. I mean, he bought mm-hmm. the governor and the mayor and, and you know, he do whatever he wanted to do. Um, and then once that was successful and the money as you pointed out, billions of dollars in bootleg alcohol in today's prices. Um, once that was proven to be successful, then that's how the organized crime then grew in that template to organize, to come into cities, New York, Chicago, L.A., Philadelphia, Boston, buy up everybody, bribe everybody, and take over the rackets. Uh, prohibition was repealed. Then they went in heavy to gambling, extortion, prostitution, vice, and the unions. So that's that's how it all evolved. And Al Capone, what? a famous name, but boy, what an awful, terrible human being. What? Um, uh, why did Elliot Ness go in? If anybody saw the movie The Untouchables, uh, it's just a great movie with Sean Connery and uh, Kevin Costner. Um, right. But it's it's clear that in Chicago, everybody has been paid off. Why was it that Hoover didn't go after and use the FBI to go after these guys? Um, Hoover took over the FBI in the 30s uh, and assassinated, literally, the FBI assassinated all the bank robbers. And it wasn't like, come out with your hands up. It was... The FBI catches you, they can pull a bullet right between your eyes. And that's what happened to all of them, Bonnie and Clyde, John Dillinger, Pretty Boy Floyd, Babyface Nelson. Um, Hoover was in charge of that. But then when it came to the Italian mobsters, Jager Hoover would not investigate, would not put the FBI on their trail. Lucky Luciano, the first godfather in New York, his private papers say, and we have them, uh, they mob had something on Hoover, but doesn't say what. Now, everybody knew Jager Hoover loved the ponies. He was a gambler, and he was gay. And so I do believe that the mob had something on Hoover, and that's why he didn't investigate. So with Al Capone so out of control, um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt knew that 
and was embarrassed that the federal government couldn't control this guy. So he sent a Treasury Department, that's Elliot Ness, that's the untouchables, and they got Capone on income tax evasion. Which was not the, was that the plan originally? The movie well, shows want, that that's... The order to Elliot Ness was get him on anything you can get him on. Okay. Get him on anything. All right. I mean, so the guy files an income tax. Capone files his income tax because he made $3,000 a year. And he's riding around <laughs> in the best, you know, come on. Right. So, yeah. and that's what, the, that's what the drug people do today. But here, here's the ironic part about all this. So uh, Capone goes down, and then there's a TV show, The Untouchables. That was, do you remember that back, or were you too young for that? Oh, I do. I do. I do okay. remember. I remember so it in Robert reruns. Stack, but... Robert Stack yep. plays Elliot Ness, and that's the Kevin mm-hmm. Costner part in the movie. All right, so it's the same thing. The Untouchables go after Elliot, uh, go after Al Capone, they get him, and then the series is all Italian bad gangsters. Well, the real gangster, the godfather of Chicago, Sam Giancana, did not like that TV show in the 50s. The producer of the show was Desi Arnaz. Lucy! I love mm. Lucy. He produced it. All right? So Giancana hand-delivers a letter to Desi Arnaz, says, hey, knock off the Italians, make the bad guys other ethnicities. Whereupon, Desi Arnaz writes a wise guy note back to same Giancana, saying, what do you want me to make them, Jews? That day, Giancana Oof. takes a contract out on Desi Arnaz and hires the assassin. We have it all in Killing the Mob. And I'm not going to tell you any more because I want people to read the book, but he, Desi Arnaz came with this close to having a bullet in the back of his head. I mean, Desi Arnaz, how powerful it, the mob was. Yeah. And Desi Arnaz was a very powerful person in television. Most people just think of him as, you know, Lucy's husband on I Love Lucy. He was the secret behind Lucille Ball's success. Uh, he, I mean, it was he and Lucy through uh, Desi Lou that did Star Trek and The Untouchables and a million other shows uh, that people know. Uh, and it, and it went well. Thought- yeah, Go ahead. Arnez thought that he was that he was invulnerable because he was so powerful, as you point out. Correct. But what Correct. what Arnez did not know was that the mob controlled much of Hollywood through a guy named Sidney Korshak, who was not a mobster; he was a lawyer. And the movies that you uh, that we all saw in the fifties and sixties, a lot of the TV shows, they were all paying organized crime money to produce the shows because the organized crime controlled all the unions, the cameramen, the lighting, the sound, and they could shut down a production in 10 minutes. And nobody knew it. Americans didn't know that the mob was controlling the film industry. And the mob could walk in and say, we want you to put this guy in that part, and we're going to take 15% of your gross. They did it all the time. So is who are the ones that really clean this up? You had Elliot Ness. What happened to him after Capone? He committed suicide. Uh-huh. In Pennsylvania. Do, do, we, do we believe it was suicide? Yeah. Yeah. He, um, that was the apex of his career. And then he retired um, and just didn't have a very good life and took his own life. Wow. Gosh, that's um, sad. And the, then who was the, the who, go ahead, go ahead. No, I, I, the, I guess I can think of three names. I can think of Elliot Ness. 
I can think of RFK and I can think of Rudy Giuliani as the three guys that just were relentless. Were there more? No, because it it had to be very, very uh, centralized. Uh, Organized crime was so powerful in this country between 1946 and 62. They controlled everything. And is that because of the unions? Yeah. And that was the base. The power base was the unions. To this day, organized crime in New York, where I am, controls many of the unions. Mm -hmm. And I have a thing in the United States of Trump where Trump and I are are discussing, if you want to build a building in New York, you've got to deal with the mob now, today, this very moment. Oh, yeah. And we name all the names and all that. Bobby Kennedy is the hero of the book because Bobby Kennedy came in as attorney general, defied his own father who had mob ties, Joseph Kennedy. His brother was kind of Punch's pilot, agnostic about it. And Bobby Kennedy went after the mob with a ferocity never before seen at the federal level and did them huge damage. And then what he did led to Rudy Giuliani and the RICO statutes and new federal laws. And Giuliani hurt the mob bad in New York as a U.S. attorney in the Southern District. We're talking to Bill O'Reilly about his new book. It is out today. You can get a copy wherever. Uh, It is wildly successful already. 100,000 copies in uh, in five days leading up to the release of the book. Uh, Bill O'Reilly, Killing the Mob. 